0: Hey, this is Pastor Bradley, and I want to welcome you to the Res Church Podcast. Res Church is a place where people discover life through knowing and following Jesus. And so we hope that you will be blessed by this message.
1: Stay with me uh, standing as we transition and read our text. My name is Jonathan. I'm one of the elders here at Resurrection, and we'd love for any of the visitors here. We're so thankful that you've come to join with us. We'd love to meet you at the welcome table after, answer any questions you have. Uh, There's a card there in front of you. It's our connection card. We'd love to get your information and connect with you uh, about what's going on here at Res. We're going to continue our study in Luke. We're in Luke 9, and today we're going to Dive into 18 through 27, if you would read it with me here. Luke 9, 18. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This is the word of God for the people of God.
0: Thanks, Thanks to be to God. God. Yeah, thank you, Jonathan. You may be seated. Good morning, church. i to say, my goodness, you ought, you ought to be happy this morning. It's beautiful out there. Amen. Um, before I pray and we dive into the text, um, I want to just mention to you: next Sunday is our fourth Sunday family service and. If you've been with us, uh, you know that we've, on four Sundays, we've been breaking from our study in Luke and we've been living in Romans 12. uh, And we're going to do that again next Sunday. And and next Sunday, we're going to talk about spiritual gifts. That's where we left off. And I know that spiritual gifts are are some, it's it's one of the most misunderstood uh, aspects of the gospel. Uh, one of the misunderstood thing, most misunderstood things in Scripture. And so we're going to talk about what are spiritual gifts, how do we discover them, and and what benefit are they. That's what we're going to talk about next week. We're not going to unpack everything about spiritual gifts, but I, I want to encourage you not to miss that next week. So that's, going to be, that's going to be really important and really good. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to open your word together as the family of God. And Holy Spirit, we ask you for your help as we endeavor to see what's here. Uh, as we endeavor to understand uh, what Jesus is saying, uh, what it means, why it matters. So help us with that. And um, Lord, we're not going to answer every question that might be raised from this text, but we want to hear your words and understand them well. So thank you for your help with that. And may we be renewed in our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. This song we just sang, it just really, really jumped out to me um, in a way that it didn't even in the first service. Did you pay attention to the words? Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. So you're worthy. Worthy. And then verse 2, Jesus, the name above every name, the only one who could ever save, worthy of every breath that we could breathe, we live for you. And so on that basis, I will build my life on your love. Did you notice there's nothing in that song about the benefits that Jesus provides? Did you notice that there's nothing in there about, okay, so... Jesus, you give me, fill in the blank, so I'll build my life on you. It's not that Jesus doesn't give. Somebody said a while ago that God's a provider, right? I mean, he does do that. Jehovah Jireh, that's one of his names. It's not, I'm not saying that he doesn't provide or that there aren't benefits to following Jesus, but is that the basis upon which we worship? What's the basis? Who he is. He is worthy. He is the only one who can save. He is the name above every name. So I'll praise you. I'll worship you. I'll build my life on you. I'll I'll live for you. Isn't that different than maybe how we typically think about it? I, I think in the Christian world, we have this, this, this mindset that the gospel is good news about how God benefits me. And it's not that there aren't benefits, but the gospel, Paul called it the gospel of God. The good news about him. It's the revelation of him. The The gift of salvation is ultimately the gift of God himself, isn't it? Hold that thought as we look at this text, okay? Can you just hold that in your minds? I might even want to sing that again. Don't threaten him with a good time. (laughs) We might sing that again at the end, at least a part of it maybe. We'll, We'll see how it goes. There's a time gap in our text. We left off last week with the feeding of the 5,000, and, and now Luke jumps. He skips. Skips a lot. All the way to Jesus' question to his disciples about how they see him. Do they understand who he is? And Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ of God. There's a time gap. Luke skips a bunch. And we might ask the question, Luke, why would you do that? And there might be some practical reasons. You know, they had to get these things on one scroll, pretty much. And, and so Luke might have been running out of paper. I doubt that's the reason. In fact, I know it's not the reason. Here's what I know. Why did Luke skip all of this? And, and, and here's another question. Should we, in order to understand what's written here in Luke, should we start digging into Matthew and Mark to try to fill in the blanks? Maybe. I'm not saying that's a bad thing to do. But here's something that's so important and so fundamental in your Bible reading. Luke wrote what Luke wrote because this is what he was inspired to write. And the four Gospels work like a choir. If you've done any choir singing or choir music, there's typically at least three or four parts, soprano, alto, tenor, bass. People sing different notes in the same song. The Gospels work that way. Different notes, different emphases, same song. And it's important. I think it's essential, actually, that we let Luke sing his note. So whatever was in his head when he skipped a lot of things to get to this point, this is what Luke was inspired to write. So much has happened, hasn't it? Jesus has done so much. So much in eight and a half chapters. There's been so many amazing things. This has been so epic. I love teaching through a gospel. It's epic. Jesus, Jesus has cast out demons, he has calmed storms, he has healed the sick, he has raised the dead, he has taught with amazing authority. And all along the way, this question has been brewing, hasn't it? It's been brewing, it's been brewing, it's been bubbling, it's simmering on the stove. Who is this guy? And we know, we think we know, we know. But this has been brewing. You let Luke be a good, inspired, Holy Spirit-inspired writer, the question bubbles and bubbles and bubbles. It starts bubbling a little bit when he he steps off the boat in the garrisons, and a crazy, demon-possessed guy... The demons start speaking through him and go, what have you to do with us, Jesus, son of the most high? You go all the way back to Nazareth. When he goes home to his home church, he's handed uh, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he reads it, and he makes some comments, and his people, his hometown folks say, who does this guy think he is? Jesus calms the storm in the boat, and the disciples ask the question, Who is this that even the winds and waves obey him? And last week, Herod, King Herod, this Rome-appointed, pagan, wicked king, hears about what's happening with Jesus and what's happening when he sends out his apostles to do ministry in his name. Herod starts speculating is this a dead prophet come back to life? Is this I, I beheaded John the Baptist. Is this John come back? I thought I dealt with him. And now Jesus, he's praying, which we've talked about this before, and, and I don't think it's the main point of the text, but I think it bears mentioning. Jesus doesn't pray as a matter of formality. Jesus prays because he needs to. Jesus, the divine son of God, the second person of the triune God, without ceasing to be God, without putting aside his divine essence, he fully took on humanity and lived as a man. And as a man, he depended on his father. He prayed because he needed to. He wasn't talking to himself and he wasn't just going through the motions. He is a prayerful Savior. Luke mentions it seven times in this gospel that Jesus prays, oftentimes alone. This time he's praying alone, but his disciples must have been within eyesight of him, obviously, because he turns to them and he says, Who do the crowds say I am? And they answer. They're familiar with the chatter. They've been doing ministry all throughout the region of Galilee, and they've heard. They've heard people murmuring. They've heard the little conversations after Jesus taught or did a miracle. They've heard it when they were passing out the food, perhaps, to the multitude as Jesus multiplied the loaves and fish, and they're the ones that are literally taking the food to the people in the cheap seats. You with me? perhaps they heard conversations who is this guy well jesus asks his disciples what are they saying boys and they say well some say you're elijah come back to life some say you're john the baptist come back to life or some other dead prophet that has come back to life what does that tell you it tells you that people are looking at this jesus and he doesn't he's not easily explainable like, you can't just put him in a little box here. There's there, there's there's not just natural things going on. And we talked about this some last week. This might jostle the mind and the heart a little bit, but Jesus' ministry, his mission, and his little band of missionaries were not just going around passing out tracts, giving food to hungry people, telling them, hey, there's this guy named Jesus who loves you and he's got a great plan for your life. That doesn't stir up Herod, a pagan king, a Rome-appointed king, to go, this might be a dead prophet come back to life. Nobody looks at a mere charitable effort. I'm not knocking charitable efforts. Don't hear that. But nobody looks at a mere charitable effort sideways and goes, what is that? This is what they're saying about Jesus. He can't can't be explained and so the speculation is almost crazy isn't it a dead prophet come back to life who do they say i am guys and that's how they respond you know what's interesting to me is jesus doesn't even comment on it like you might think he would go really is that what they're saying is 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 that what the rumor mill is producing That's all they think of me. I'm a dead prophet. Come back to life. Boys, we have failed. We got to go back to the drawing board. He doesn't say that at all, does he? It's almost like Jesus responds this way. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John. Some say you're a dead prophet. Hmm, that's interesting. No comment. And then he looks right at them and says, but who do you say I am? It's almost like, guys, what I'm most concerned about is what you say. This is a turning point in Luke's gospel. We're about two, two and a half years or so into Jesus' earthly ministry. He's got about 10 to 12 months before he goes to the cross. A lot of scholars call this point in the gospel of Luke the journey to Jerusalem. We're, we're, This is time critical, guys. We are headed that way. Nine to 12 months left or so. And here's what I need to know. I'm not so concerned. It's not that he's totally unconcerned, but I'm not so concerned about what the crowds are saying right now. Here's what I need to know. Who do you say I am? And Peter, acting like a spokesman, for the whole group, which is, we, we know this from Luke's gospel, it's not just the 12, the 12 are there, but there's, it's 12 plus Mary Magdalene, plus a few more. There's, there's, there's other men and women that are following Jesus as disciples, 12 that he's named apostles and already sent out by this point. Who do you say that I am? And on behalf of the group, Peter says, you're the Christ of God. Bullseye, Peter. Bullseye. That's, that's, that's right on the money. He's not just another prophet who can feed 20,000 plus people with a happy meal. He, he is not just some other itinerant preacher, some other itinerant miracle worker. He's not just someone who's going around doing good deeds. Like, you, you see where I'm going with this? This is critical. Who do you say that I am? That question doesn't weigh heavy enough for us. I mean, leave here today. Take your cell phone. Do a man on the street kind of video and ask 15 or 20 random people that you encounter at the restaurant or in the park this afternoon or on a drive up to the mountains. Ask them, hey, who do you think Jesus is? And I would venture to say, especially because we live in the Bible Belt, nine out of 10 at least. Oh, I believe he's the Son of God. And is that right? Absolutely, it's right. Peter is right. Is that enough? Here's what we know, and I just want you to think with me. Peter's confession is not the first acknowledgement of Christ's identity in the gospel. I've already mentioned the demoniac in the Gerasenes. He, the demons inside of him, it was really, truth be told, the forces of hell that recognized him first. Let that sink in for a minute. Satan knew from the beginning who Jesus was. And here's the thing, that knowledge, that information, which was true, did not compel him to follow Jesus, did it? All he wanted to do was destroy him. Which says to me there's a difference between head knowledge, knowledge of Jesus, and faith in Jesus. Having the right information... About who he is, isn't salvific in and of itself. The issue is, are you wholly given over to him? And sadly, sadly, let me just say this is going to step on toes. Is that are y'all all right with some little toe stepping today? All right. It. it sadly, when you go beyond, okay, who is Jesus? Okay, he's the son of God. We've got that right. We've got that. We've filled in that blank. Do you believe him? Do you trust him? Sadly, that next step is often determined by, well, what's he going to do for me? And not that that's a terrible question, but is it the question? Is it what produces faith in us? Are we wholly given over to him if who he is and and what that means is merely a matter of how that benefits me. Because you know this. You've encountered this. I encounter it. I felt it. Sometimes following him is painful. Sometimes life works out in such a way that you find yourself asking, Jesus, do you care? Are you really who I thought you were? John the Baptist was there. John the Baptist. The voice of one crying in the wilderness while he sits in prison. We've read this. While he sits in prison, he sends some of his disciples to Jesus and says, are you really the one or should we look for another? Why? Why? Because John did not see his life, his ministry, his calling, culminating rotten in a prison cell at the hands of a pagan king who would ultimately chop his head off. And Jesus' word back to him was, yes, I am the one, and blessed is the man who's not offended with me. He didn't give John all the things. He didn't say, hey, John, listen, I know this sucks right now but they're going to write about you in all four Gospels. Just, Just stay strong there, buddy. No, blessed is the man who's not offended with me. Who do you say that I am? You're the Christ of God. Okay, Peter and the rest of you, that's right. I want that to settle on us. Please let that settle on you. Ask the Lord to help you, let it settle on you. That is who He is. He is the Christ of God. Hallelujah. Now, Jesus, tell us, tell us what that means. All right. And he strictly charged them. Verse 21. He strictly charged them and commanded them to tell this to no one. There's a couple of need-to-knows here. First to know is to the disciples, the crowds, the multitudes, the populace, they don't need to know this yet. Verse 22. But saying, he's talking to them, the Son of Man must, everybody say must, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. That's familiar to us. It wasn't to them. You're the Christ of God. All right, boys, let me tell you, and girls, because there's girls there too. shouldn't say that. Here's what it means. I must be rejected. I must be killed. And I must be raised. I, they did not see that coming. We, we can kind of speculate about what ideas of Messiah they would have in their heads at this point. But for them to confess that He is indeed the Messiah, they have come this far with Him, they have come this far. They started out maybe out of sheer morbid curiosity. Who is this guy who we're hearing these rumors about? And he now he's invited us to follow him. Let's, let's go see what this is all about. I think that's probably, at least for some of them, how it started. But now they've come this far, and they are wholly convinced that he is indeed the Christ. And now he drops this bomb on them, and he doesn't really unpack it. He doesn't talk about justification by grace through faith. He doesn't talk about sanctification. He doesn't talk about life in and with the Spirit right here. He doesn't talk about peace that passes understanding. He doesn't talk about, I'll never leave you and never forsake you right here. Is all of that true? Yes, But that's not what they needed to know right here. What they needed to know is that you're right, I am the Christ, and here's what must happen. Here is the plan. This is my sovereign decree. It's not negotiable. There is no other option. I must die. And I wonder if they even heard him say, be raised on the third day. I wonder if they even got that far. This is what must happen. There's there's no other option. Why is that? I think he explains it a little bit. Not fully, but a little bit. Verse 23. And he said to all, if anyone would, and if you write in your Bibles, I'd put a little parenthesis somewhere and write desires to. That word would means desires to. So if anyone desires to come after me. So that's who you are. Jesus, we're clear on that, and, and, and you dropped a bomb on us with, you're going to die, and now he's going to say, and for you, that's what it means for me. So what's going to happen to me? Here's what it means for you if you want to come after me, if you want to follow me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. The Jews had an idiom, and it was called bearing one's cross because it was a very familiar sight. This is morbid, and it's hard for me to even fathom, but it was a relatively familiar sight to be walking along the road and to see a condemned person carrying their own cross to the place of execution. Can you have fathomed that? I mean, we, we still have capital punishment in the U.S., but that's all veiled and hidden from us. It's not out in the public anymore. Can you fathom going to the grocery store, heading out for a cup of coffee, going to grandma's house with the kids and seeing someone with a heavy wooden cross on their back going to the place of execution? What did it mean? What did it mean to them to bear one's cross? I think we could probably assume a couple of things. It meant you were enduring the worst possible that life could throw at you. Regardless of of what you did or did not do to get there, you were enduring the worst possible thing. And I think in some way or another, the thought would have also been, for that person, for that person carrying a cross, life on their terms is over. It's fair. Life on their terms is over. But here's what Jesus says. Peter, you're right. The whole group, you're right. I am the Christ what this means for me, I must, by sovereign decree, die and be raised. I'll be rejected, I'll be killed, and I will be raised. And then to all of you, if you want to come after me, if you want to follow me, if you see and know that I am the Christ and you want to be wholly given over to me, Here's what it means. You're going to have to deny yourself, give up life on your terms, and follow me. Why? Verse 24, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet... Loses or forfeits himself. That's the most obvious thing ever, isn't it? Like, even if you're not a church or a Bible person, even if you're fuzzy on who Jesus is, would you not agree that the greatest tragedy ever, ever would be to literally gain the whole world? We're not even just talking about the wealth in Greenville County. We're talking about, everything the world has to offer for you to gain all of that and lose your life anybody disagree that's the worst tragedy ever it's the most obvious statement what is jesus saying he's saying if you tie it all together i am the christ and i must die this must happen a because if there's going to be any opportunity for salvation this is the plan It's the only way. There's no other option. And for anyone to benefit from that, they're going to have to give up life on their terms. They're going to have to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. To which we're going, but wait, Bradley, that sounds so negative. I thought this was good news. Anybody grew up under hellfire and brimstone preaching? I did a little bit, some of you. I, one of the things I'm trying to teach, Mary and I are trying to teach our children right now, is that it's one thing to make the right choices because you don't want to be punished. You don't want the consequences of negative actions and decisions. But the better thing The better thing, and we've talked about this all the time, don't we? The better thing is to choose what is good and is right because you want what is good and what is right. You're not just trying to avoid the consequences. You want what is good and what is right. I think think someone can be saved and turn to Christ and the starting line be the fear of eternal punishment. I mean, absolutely. But I don't think the Christian life is lived at its fullness when all we're doing is trying to make sure that God's not mad at us or that I'm somehow staying in his good graces, avoiding his wrath, You know, not, not worry that I'm going to die and spend eternity in hell. The Christian life is, is so much more than avoiding hell. I mean, what does Psalm 16 say? In his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Paul writes in the feet in Philippians and talks about we don't have, don't be anxious for anything. But in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving to God, make your requests known and the peace which passes understanding. Peace that doesn't make sense. We we can't even explain why it's there. Circumstantially, we should be a wreck, but we're not. Why? Because there's supernatural peace. There are benefits. Make no mistake about it. Our new slogan that we're about to put on our website for Res Church is for the glory of God and the joy of his people. The Bible speaks of joy that is our strength, joy in salvation. There, is, there are real benefits and promises to the children of God, to the people of God, to the born-again saints of God that are filled with His Spirit. Those are, those are true. Those are, those are right. But there's something underneath all of it that I think we have to get. Because as we seem to have just been talking about all day, when we follow Christ, we know all things work together for good. Right? Romans 8.28, you can amen that. It's in the Bible. Bradley didn't make it up. Sometimes the process of all things working together for good is not very fun. I feel like I've had multiple conversations re- recently about the promise that it is His kindness that leads us to repentance. But how many of you have walked with the Lord long enough to know that sometimes His kindness is painful? Sometimes He brings us to our knees and it is His kindness. Sometimes He brings us to the place of utter dependence and it hurts. That's, that's why we've got to have something more. For whoever is ashamed of me, you know, it's the same word that Paul used in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why would anyone be ashamed of Jesus? This doesn't sound like a Savior, does it? That's why the Apostle Paul said the cross is foolishness to those who are perished. This doesn't, a Messiah who dies and a, and a, and a Messiah, a Savior whose, whose call, whose invitation is, hey, come and die. That's a great church growth strategy. I'll give an altar call and just say, how many of you are ready to raise your hand Not repeat a prayer after me, check the Jesus box, you get to go to heaven when you die. But how many of you raise your hand and say, I'm ready to take up my cross and follow him? Whatever the cost. That's, I think, how you know you don't just have information in your head about this Jesus, but God's done something in you that has caused faith arise and you're wholly given over you may not even know what all that means yet that's okay Jesus didn't explain it all he doesn't say Peter you're gonna get crucified upside down John you're gonna get exiled on an island some of you are gonna be burned some of you are gonna be beheaded he doesn't say he doesn't say that he doesn't tell them they're gonna be whipped and threatened it's not time for that you just need to know this I am the Christ I must die if you're going to come after me if you're going to save your life if you're not going to forfeit it you must die too whoever is ashamed of me in my words of him the son of man when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels, he will be ashamed too. That's, that's horrible. Can you imagine anything worse? Can you imagine anything worse than the Christ of God being ashamed of you? I can't fathom it. What? What brings us all in? It's a little hint. Jesus says something almost in passing. Look at this, verse 27. But I tell you truly, there will be some standing here who will not taste death. They will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. This is one of those verses, I'll go ahead and tell you. There are multiple mountain ranges of debate over what he means. Scholars argue all day long. And I told the first service, I, I, I think maybe I'm just not smart enough to get all that hung up on it because to me, it seems pretty plain. And I might be wrong. I don't think I am. But it seems pretty plain to me what he's talking about. Look at the next verse. What has he just talked about? If you're ashamed of me and my words, I'll be ashamed of you when I come in my glory with the glory of the Father and of the Holy Angel. So there's this talk of his glory, his glory, Right? Everybody say his glory. His glory. And then he says, almost in passing, some of you will not taste death until that you see the coming of the kingdom of God. Look at the next verse. Now about eight days after these sayings, we're still on the same topic, aren't we? He took with him Peter and John and James and he went up on the mountain to pray. We know what happened there, right? He was transfigured. Without ceasing to be God... He took on humanity fully. When he was transfigured, the veil of his flesh was peeled back. And some of them, not all of them, just Peter, James, and John, some of them saw it. Look at verse 32. Peter, James, and John didn't do so well on this mountain. We'll talk about that next time we're in Luke. But Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. They saw his glory. And the two men that stood with him, they saw it. They saw him. You're, listen, you're the Christ. And if that's true, Everything changes. If you're the Christ, what choice do I have? If you're the Christ worthy of every song we could ever sing, worthy of all the praise we could ever bring, why? Because he's the Christ. That, that, it has nothing to do with what he does for me. Do you see that? It doesn't, it doesn't matter what my sense is of how, how he's leading me according to my preferences. It's not that he doesn't care. Don't ever think that Jesus doesn't care what you're going through, that he's unsympathetic to your pain and your weakness. He's not. The Bible's full of promises about that. But the bottom line issue, is he the Christ? And if he is the Christ, then he's worthy. If he is the Christ, then there is no other name. And if he is the Christ, I don't know about you, but I don't want to build my life on anything else. I don't want any other cheap foundation that's going to crack at the slightest hint of pain. I don't want that. It doesn't work. It's not lasting and it's cheap. But if he is the Christ ought to have been on that mountain, ha. Oh. I'm gonna have a little talk with Peter when I get to heaven about why he was asleep. What are you doing, man? This is incredible. Like, are you clear about who he is? Does that change the way you're dealing with your struggle right now? Does that change anything about if you're on the fence? Like, yeah, I'm sort of impressed with Jesus and. This all, you know, what I've heard about him sounds good. But what's going to get you over the hump of actually being willing to come and say, here's my life. I'm denying myself. Life on my terms is over. My life is not my own. Do with me what you will. Job didn't see Jesus. But somehow... It had to be the work of God, the work of the Spirit, that when everything was stripped away, what did he say? Though he slay me, I'll trust him. Why? Because he's God. I'm not. Would you stand? Just sing that a little bit. holy.
2: And holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those. Sing holy again. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me. In your love to those of uh... sing, I will build my life, and I will build my.
0: want to invite you to close your eyes for a minute and just, just for maybe about 30 seconds or so in, in your own way pray, pray the prayer of surrender from the place that you are right now whatever that looks like whatever that means whatever you're wrestling with if, 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 you have, if the Lord's given you faith for this and if you don't do it because I said so, but if you feel prompted and you want to do this, you want to come after him, articulate your surrender to him. Just take a few seconds. Lord, we thank you that you have made yourself known to us. May we never take that for granted. If we have taken it for granted, forgive us, we repent. May we never again take for granted the revelation of Jesus Christ. Not all see and believe. But if there's something that you, a work that you've done in us that we no longer just have some information in our head about this Jesus, but we, we believe. We believe in our heart, the deepest part of us that's a credit to your grace and the work of your spirit and we give you thanks. Can you just, just give the Lord thanks for that? If you believe, express your gratitude because something's happened for you and to you that you didn't, you didn't do on your own. By grace you have been saved, and this not of yourselves, it is the work of God, it is the gift of God. Blessed be your name. Now, Lord, as we see you, may we go, may we scatter from this place confident that you are the Christ of God, that there is no other name by which we can be saved. And that you are worthy because that's who you are. You're not worthy because of what you do or don't do. You're worthy because that's who you are. And so we will build our life on you and we will make much of you. Help us do that, Holy Spirit. Help us do that. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. I want to read you as a benediction the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians who writes these words... From prison. From prison. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, talking about his imprisonment, has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become more confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear he goes on and says yes and I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit of Jesus of the Spirit of Jesus Christ this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed but that with full courage now as always Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death Could we go on that note right there, that Christ be honored in our body, whether by life or by death. Why? Because he's worthy. He's worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. Have a fantastic week. We'll see you next Sunday. We hope that the Lord has blessed you through today's message, and we would love to hear from you. Tell us how God is working in your life and how we can pray for you. You can also help us reach others by investing at resfaith.com slash give. Thanks again for joining us.